Oh, and one of the things that stopped me in the beginning was like, oh, shouldn't I find a partner or something? <laughs> like, instead of just going off and traveling, isn't that going to affect, like, you know, my finding uh, finding somebody? Because, you know, people kind of give women this panic, like, my family, I'm Nigerian, you know, oh, when are you going to get married and all that stuff? and. Yeah, and I was seeing traveling as a hindrance, like traveling is something that would stop me from finding a partner. And I'm like, no, it won't. I mean, look at like Annika the Traveler, like she like has a man and a baby and she stays traveling. So it's like, it's just no excuse. From somewhere around the world, welcome to the Black Women Travel Podcast. Hi, my name is Wanda Duncan, and I'm so glad you're joining me as we explore the paths of black women who've made travel a large part of their lives. Welcome to the show. So thank you so much, Veggie, for joining us on the Black Women Travel Podcast. Can you please introduce yourself, where you're from, where you're currently located, and the name of your business? Well, thank you so much for thank you so much for having me here, Wanda. Um, I'm very very happy to be here and uh, share my story. Uh, my name is Veggie. Uh, I'm from Toronto. Actually, I'm from a few places, but I now claim uh, Toronto, Canada. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't used to claim Toronto, but I claim Toronto now. Um, but I'm from a few places. I was born in uh, Nigeria, so I am of Nigerian descent. Um, and then I lived in the UK from like when I was a baby to like till when I was about 12, 13, um, my mother decided to move us all to Canada and bam, we're in Canada, uh, stuck there for the past how many years? Um, I'm 28 years old now, so you could do the math. Um, I'm bad at math. <laughs> um, so yeah. <laughs> and right now I am currently in Chiang Mai, right? Um, I'm, why am I in Chiang Mai? Because of YouTube and sometimes I can be at a be a bit of a follower, you know, follow a little bit of the trends here and there. And, you know, everybody rants and raves about Chiang Mai. And I was like, okay, I gotta, that has to be my first um, destination um, as a digital nomad. However, I have been living a nomadic lifestyle for probably the past year and a half to two years. I would say probably two years. And I spent the last year in Montreal, like fully being a nomad. And it was a necessity because I wasn't bilingual at the time. I kind of had to learn French. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not at the intermediate level in, in French, which is really good. Um, and uh, yeah, so, but now like I'm an international nomad and my plan is to travel Asia for at least one year. I like that you said international nomad because um, I reach out to the ladies in the Black Women Digital Nomad Entrepreneur Group group that you're a part of. And a lot of them feel some type of way because 
nomadism is portrayed in a certain kind of way. Mm. And nomad can mean just about anything to anyone. You could have a house and still be a nomad. Like, <laughs> like yeah. you can. Like, because people do. Maybe you just travel part of the year. Like, people find different situations that work for them. So I like that you said that. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, there's different. Mm-hmm. They say, you know, there's levels to this niche, right? Like, <laughs> like they say, Absolutely. there's levels and there's no um, one size fits all. And you kind of have to, you know, it's funny, like they call it lifestyle design. And you have to design your world and your life and how you want it to be. You don't have to necessarily sacrifice um, having a kid or sacrifice um having a husband or whatever in order to live this type of lifestyle. Um, I've, I mean, YouTube is there. There are so many different kinds of setups. So, I mean, I'm a big watcher of YouTube. I used to make videos way back when, when I was like six. <laughs> it was ridiculous. I was just making really dumb videos, but they were getting views, right? But are they pretty still, much- Are they still up? Because I would love- they're floating out there. I don't yes. know. I don't know. God, but I remember, I remember though, I was amassing like 10,000 views per video. And then YouTube, this is back when YouTube had to, um, you had to apply to be monetized. Like they would actually, and sometimes they'd send you something and be like, yeah, maybe you should monetize your videos. Right. And I remember when I got it, when I was sent this, I got so scared. I got so scared and I stopped making videos. Because I was like, what am I doing? This is this is crazy. This is too real to me, you know? So I kind of like, I was like, what am I doing? Like, what is this? Am I, are too many people seeing me? I was so young and like, you know, a bit insecure at the time. So I just completely, um, completely stopped. But I kind of lost my, the point of mentioning YouTube. But I think uh, what I <laughs> Uh, You're talking about uh, watching uh, how people design their lives, and yeah, yeah. So many, yeah. It gave me some insight, different perspectives. Like people do this in many different ways. You've got traveling families, you know. You've got, you know, people who live in one place for one part of the year and stuff like that. Um, actually, growing up, one of the biggest impressions in my life was. Um, they weren't necessarily nomads, but it was my, um, see there, can you hear the planes? Can you hear the planes in Chiang Mai? Yes, I can. Christ alive. Uh, I hope all the listeners can like, can feel this right now. Okay, so. Um, it was a life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so one of the biggest inspirations was my, my aunt and my uncle growing up. They had like a really, um, Great relationships, uh, great relationship. I mean, I'm from like, I hate to say broken home, but I'm from a broken home. And uh, they were like my first kind of healthy, uh, out, like what a healthy relationship looked like. And they were like separate a lot of the time because he lived in Spain and she lived in England when we were in England, right? So uh, he, ah, so they had this, and it was weird. They had this long, um, this weird long distance marriage, but they were seeing each other every weekend. It was so funny, uh, but it just worked. I don't know, it just worked. So to me, things like distance is just not, it's, it's just, 
it's not an excuse to live a, to live uh, it's to not live the life you want to live. That's what I'm trying to say. So there's different setups. There's different ways people are making it work. And yeah, it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be hard, you know, and I'm at the point in my life that, uh, oh, and one of the things that stopped me in the beginning was like, oh, shouldn't I find a partner or something? <laughs> like, instead of just going off and traveling, isn't that going to affect, like, you know, my finding, uh, finding somebody? Because, you know, people kind of give women this panic, like my family... I'm Nigerian, you know, oh, when are you going to get married and all that stuff? And yeah, and I was seeing traveling as a hindrance, like traveling is something that would stop me from finding a partner. And I'm like, no, it won't. I mean, look at like Annika the Traveler, like she like has a man and a baby and she stays traveling. So it's like, it's just no excuse. And also the one who loves you will, will, will travel, will move mountains to, to be with you, you know, <laughs> or, you know. And then y'all can live in those mountains. It'll be great. <laughs> right? So, like, to me, it's like, it's going to be hard, but that's what makes it, like, that more exciting and that more worthwhile when there's, like, the, a bit of sacrifice, right? So there's that, too. So, yeah, I'm single. I'm looking, kind of. <laughs> this my audience is all women. I'm. You, this is not the place to advertise, ma'am. Don't come on here trying to do. <laughs> not advertising. I'm. I'm A just saying tender. that. I'm just saying that it's not. It's not stopping me from looking. You know, being out here traveling. There's some. You meet some girls here, and they're like, oh, "I'm not in that headspace. Oh, I, I don't want it." Mm-hmm. And it's just. It's interesting how everybody is kind of. Well, a lot of the girls here are in like self-denial mode in a way. And it's like, do you, is, is that is that the part of the nomadic like DN package, you know, like a bit of spirituality and just like no affection or no like love or anything like that? Does it have to be like that? No, so it's interesting, but yeah. I also didn't mean to uh, put you on blast in case you are of the LGBTQ element OP. <laughs> I didn't think about that <laughs> because I'm completely supportive. So advertise away a, if that's what you want. You have to put a disclaimer on this because you don't want you don't want to offend your LGBT. Well, uh, aside from that, <laughs> like I legitimately don't because that's not that's as as someone who can directly do something about homophobia, transphobia, all of that, that's something that I take very seriously. But I was just joking with you because you had never mentioned no, no. it. <laughs> so we got Would a little bit. I, I got a little bit. If, if there wasn't any banter. So you come from a traveling family. Your mother's moving around. Your aunt and uncle have an... LDR. Yeah. And but you you uh even without your mother transporting you around like you have traveled on your own quite a bit as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I think like the first time I traveled um like fully like on my own was when I well it wasn't really fully on my own. It was when I traveled unaccompanied. Unaccompanied, I was like 16 or like 15 or so with my little brother. <laughs> God. And people were like, what? Like, people were like, 
really looking at our passports, looking at how old we were, and you're like, hmm, what's going on? Well, mm -hmm. I've been kind of like, like responsible. My, I've always been very independent. And um, in a way, my mom is a very, very hands-off parent. And in some ways, that's good. In some ways, that's really bad. Um, but it's uh, really helped with my sense of independence and uh, my sense of self-sufficiency. Like, growing up, I didn't really feel like I could trust people to deliver on things uh, where I was concerned. And I think part of it was an internal problem, too, because I was like, who am I to think that I deserve to have people to do things for me and actually follow through? So I basically had this mentality that like, you know, everything I have, I have to do it myself. And I always have to have contingency plans because I don't want to like end up on the streets or something like that. So, you know, I did, the, I did all the right things, you know, went to school, uh, went to the University of Toronto and the whole nine. Um, and but was still kind of like oh I don't know what to do like I I was lost for I think until I was like 24 25 I think around 25 is when I started to actually uh, get a grip on things and uh, uh, be more organized and independent but for the most part like my thing has always been like you know try like sort yourself out because no one's going to save you <laughs> you know so but i mean that's understandable if you identify as coming from a broken home like you said earlier yeah 100 percent. i know that like people are going to let you down and uh but i try not to take it personally do you know what i mean it's just like okay move on you know take your l move on how can you learn from this fix this that's it right um so it's just uh yeah yeah i mean uh even now with uh so teaching so since uh so just so everybody uh knows so with me i teach online so there are the planes again uh <laughs> i teach online and i teach from <laughs> i teach online and i teach for multiple companies um i teach for multiple companies and that's something that I highly recommend some uh, people to do if they want to teach online. Uh, it can be annoying, but if you really plan it right and you really, uh, you really, uh, you know what to look for and stuff. Um, and you know, any everybody, feel free to message me if you, like you just started teaching online and you need some advice. Um, but you can make a good, you can make a good amount of money when you teach online. Uh, but you're dealing with uh, international companies, specifically Chinese companies, and sometimes they drop the ball, you know, and, you know, it's always good to have, you know, a backup or something happening. So, for example, uh, I worked for a Taiwanese-based company. I'm not going to say the name right now. <laughs> no, everybody's like, I'm not going to say the name. <laughs> not because I can't, but I'm just not going to say the name. Um, but they just kind of, uh, they were like, yeah, your pay is going to be 10 days late. And everybody was like, what? Because they said a typhoon was coming and, you know, the banks are going to be closed and blah, blah, a million and one um, excuses. Now everybody's on the teacher's group going crazy and speculating and talking about, oh, my God, 
it's because China's devaluing its currency and da 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 da, da. So everybody's just going nuts in the group. Um, I would highly recommend to join those groups too because you get a lot of good advice and you meet some really interesting people. You connect with people, um, which is cool. Even as a freelancer, you don't, you don't have to be a hermit. Do you know what I mean? You can still seek people and still have co-workers in a way, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so like having contingency plans, me, I like, so I was like, okay, these people are, this is, this is really annoying, but you know, I wait, I'm waiting and I'm exhaling, you know, I'm waiting and I'm exhaling for my <laughs> But yeah, you got to have contingency plans and it's not even just like working online, but I mean, even brick and mortar jobs are like that too. Like they will just let you go. Like I had, um, I had a good, good job. It was wonderful. People were nice to me, but it was run by a board and uh, they decided to um, outsource my job. And this was about three months after me getting a raise. So do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. I was getting this feedback. I had gotten a raise, you know? So here's me planning my life, seeing, oh, let me move apartments. Uh, like, you know, let me cut a lifestyle. You know, when you like, <laughs> let me level up. <laughs> level up you know you know the lifestyle inflation that we all get sucked into after we get our raise and stuff right i was doing that luckily for me i'm, I'm you know i'm pretty slow to make certain moves because of you know you know paranoid about certain things right i don't know maybe it's intuition i don't know but i'm pretty slow to make moves luckily i didn't move like or sign a lease or something um because like about three or four months after getting the raise it was like they shipped me out of there and i was like what and it was at that point that it dawned on me that like, why am I so afraid of like, you know, doing something different? Because even when you are doing your brick and mortar, there's just no guarantee. You know, I mean, you get a nice severance package if you're let go, but there's still no guarantee, like, especially nowadays. And I think more, I think being, I think nomad, nomadism or like freelancing is the future because now, that's what these companies want. They don't want to pay anybody like um, to sit down in their office anymore. You know, at least like from my perspective and in my um, industry, which was marketing and digital marketing for the most part. Yeah. So yeah, I was rant. <laughs> so talk about um, talk about the first time you left Canada. This was what a year ago. Oh, like the first time I started, like while work. I guess the first trip I did, um, when I was like while I was was while I. That was to, the solo travel, legit solo travel, where I didn't know anybody there, <laughs> you know, um, because the other travels I traveled a lot since I was sixteen um from canada to london so those i was only going to london and canada for the most part um and then um i did have a boyfriend who took me to france once but that doesn't really count to me uh, <laughs> but uh my first like on my own solo travel outside of canada let me just explore a place that i've never been to, been to before was germany I know a lick of German, um, and then I realized that oh my gosh, all these Germans know English, and I realized that English was 
is truly the bridge language of Europe and in Asia, funnily enough. So there's a real privilege in knowing English. So I know that most of your, uh, your, um, <clears throat> most of your viewers and uh, members are, uh, are African-Americans and it's just a gift to know English. You know, the job opportunities that are out there just because you know English are just, there's a lot, there's a lot. And the way people accommodate you and cater to you because you know English is great too. So the struggle just wasn't, the struggle that I was expecting uh, going to Germany just wasn't there, right? So, you know, compared to somebody who doesn't know English and they're, you know, maybe a recent immigrant and they're coming over. And you have, the one thing I learned, I, when I started working, again, I worked for multiple companies. One of them was a Korean company and I'd, I'd have students who were learning English to travel and learning English to travel to places like Norway, <laughs> you know? I was like, that's not even an English speaking country. <laughs> you know, but you need English to, to get around. So English is truly like the, the lingua franca of the word, the world, the bridge, the bridge language of the world. And it's such a privilege to have it as your native language, you know? So, yeah. And then after Germany, what was the next country? What went, like, what was the start of your, like, digital nomad, I suppose you would say? Not like... Not I, just, like, grand travels, but, like, yeah. travel. I, it I had to... Yeah, it had yeah. to be. Um, it had to be the time I was preparing, laying the the groundwork to move to Montreal. Uh, so I was just hell bent on moving to Montreal because it um, it was all about costs. So Toronto, the costs are sky high. I mean, now like you know, ugh, landlords out here are just running wild. They don't care. They are charging like three thousand dollars for a basement you know, and they don't like one bedroom basement. You got people, uh, you know, people, sh it's like New York, you know, Toronto's going through this really, except without the space actually. Yeah. Like, Toronto's going through this really awkward growth spurt right now. And it's just not accommodating um, everybody there. And it's not like there's that many people, but it's just growing so fast um, that a lot of the, like it's just too expensive and a lot of restaurants bars are cl closing down because they can't afford rent um you know it's really really miserable for the most part and i felt like apart from the summer which is nice it was just kind of awful for the most part so with me it was all about cutting costs down so um you know i still had my money for my severance uh i had uh i started um i started uh, the teaching, teaching online, but I didn't really, I wasn't really taking it seriously, but I was like, okay, this is the time. So I gave up my apartment to my brother who wanted to move to Toronto. I was like, I don't know why you're moving here, but sure, you can take this apartment. <laughs> you can take over this apartment. Um, and then I went to my mom's place for a bit and started to at least strategize a little bit more, save a little bit more money. And then like the summer hit and I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to Montreal. I took my small belongings, whatever I had, and I just bounced uh, because I can, I can stay with my mom. I can't stay with my mom for long periods of time. 
I just, I can't. So I bounced to Montreal. I stayed in, a, in an Airbnb uh, the, first, uh, the first time, the first uh, month. And then I left and I actually quickly, quickly found a nice condo in Montreal that cost me about uh, like uh, $795 for a condo that would overlook the water um, just really, really just outside of Montreal. So, but the subway was right there. So I was just 10 or 15 minutes to get into the city and it was great. Um, for the most part, like I was able to keep on top of my finances for the most part and also have a social life. And I had to kind of build my social life from the ground up. Um, I had a few friends, but I wanted more and I wanted to connect with more people. Um, and uh, I'm really, really happy with the relationships I've made uh, in the city, like especially with uh, my relationships with uh, women in Montreal. Like it's just like it's been good. Um, and I, oh, I really miss them. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, like it, I had to pretty much start over again. I, you know, I'd go to language meetups. I would have a co-working space that I'd go to all the time, a coffee shop, a gym, routines, and stuff like that. Uh, no, I'm not paying. With, I'm, I'm not paying. <laughs> um. So yeah. So I had. Uh, um. Yeah, I was kind of trying to build a life uh, from the ground up, but I was also thinking about the future, like what, having a family too, right? See, Montreal has um, universal uh, childcare, along with universal healthcare. That's something that Toronto does not have. Oh. Um, yeah, so uh, Canada, so just in case, let me just do a quick lesson. Canada has 13 provinces. Um, the major ones is Quebec, um, Ontario, uh, British Columbia. British Columbia is where Vancouver is and like all that nice stuff. Uh, Ontario is where Toronto is and Quebec is where Montreal is and it's the French side of Canada and uh, people there speak English and a dialect of French called Quebecois, right? So Montreal is a bilingual city. Um, it's good if you're, everybody there is bilingual for sure, for the most part. Um, but once you get into the outskirts, and other areas in Quebec, you'll ha have people who can't speak English. Um, but for the most part, it's it's uh, of a benefit for you to know uh, French, uh, to connect with people, and to also have uh, opp opportunities. Like you know, maybe if you want uh, clients, or French clients, or whatever. But for the most part, you'll find a lot of um, workplaces that are just English only. You do have many. Um, People like software engineer, like in in certain uh, in certain industries, like if you're in engineering, um, you can you can make it and make good money as a sole anglophone, right? But if you're in marketing and communications, like I am, you can't like it would. It's a it's tough. You're you're gonna have to learn French. Um, so yeah. So my thing was that okay. I'm going to be online and I'm going to try and learn uh, French um, and try to, and I, I enjoyed the challenge of trying to immerse myself in a completely different uh, culture and a completely different place and challenge myself. 
like it's been so fulfilling and it's been amazing for my self-esteem and self-worth to to have a goal and like try to conquer it and actually like you know making it a little bit right so yeah so that's where my true uh nomadism started and the whole thing was a test to see if i could sustain this lifestyle for a year where i'm strictly on my laptop right and uh yeah so it was good so then and after, i mean mm -hmm. and to me i was like the worst thing that could happen for me um you know which which is a bit of a privilege the worst thing that could happen is i end up at my mom's house basically i was like, okay lose everything lose my apartment blah, 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 i end up at my mom's house so i always think about the worst thing that could possibly happen and it honestly wasn't that bad so i was like why not take the risk you know so no that's good a mm. lot of times we play into the fear without fully playing it out and then we just get paralyzed by thinking that we'll get stuck somewhere so it's good to be like okay well is it that bad mm, not really i could mm. figure something else out so then so then after after montreal you went to europe right yeah um so um so before montreal right i had done a few travels um but that was without that was like a little bit with the note like i would I wasn't really working like I am now, you know, I was, I was nomading it, but I wasn't working with, so I'd, I'd work a lot, have a chunk of money. And then majority of the times I'm just like actually being a tourist and traveling. <laughs> so I'd go like two months without working. Right. But now like I'm actually working every day. So like, <clears throat> I haven't really seen much of Chiang Mai, right. Funnily enough, but, I do make time, you know, so it's, it's the challenge with me now is just trying to have a schedule that's not having me work, work, work every day. But because the work is there, I'm working because it's the summer, all the kids are out, all the kids are out and you have to, you know, at least grab the money while it's there <laughs> in a weird way. Right. Um, so, um, so yeah. I don't know if I, sorry, I don't know if I answered uh, all of your question, your question properly. Just Oh no, just asking about what happened after Montreal. After Montreal, you yeah. went to Europe. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, after Montreal, I went to um, Portugal, uh, which is one of my favorite countries. I went with my cousin to the Algarve uh, for a bit. Um, I really do like, uh, I like, I love Portugal. The people are so kind and so patient. And I don't know any Portuguese, but they're nice. Um, you feel like a real warmth uh, compared to other um, European countries, <coughs> France. <laughs> so yeah, so I like, um, I really like Portugal. I've been to Lisbon uh, two other times. So one time was uh, on a layover. <coughs> Sorry, one time was on a layover. I was only there for one day, but it was so lit. I was like, I have to come back again came back the second time and it was great. And then the third time, like my cousin was like, oh, let's go to Asia. And then, you know, you know how like, uh, planning with black people is sometimes, you know, the meme is that <laughs> like, there's a meme going around. It's like um, an extreme sport is like planning a vacation with black people. <coughs> so me and my cousin, I'm like, yeah, let's go to Asia. And here's me. I've been planning to go to Asia. Like I've been trying to make, 
ever since meeting like you and uh, Vanille, I'm like, oh, I need to go to Asia, man. It seems like it's popping. It looks amazing. And like <laughs> also how cheap it was. So I was like, okay, I need to plan this right. <laughs> so the first time I planned to go to Asia, it was a bust. It didn't end up happening because of my cousin, right? And to be honest, I didn't feel like the itinerary I made was respectful enough. Like it was just like, like it was just <laughs> you made you made a disrespectful itinerary. <laughs> how are you gonna spend like four days? Like it was like it was like how are you gonna spend ten days in Thailand? That's straight up disrespect. Like so hilarious. Like what? Like I mean, but I'm but that's just me. I'm just being facetious there because now it's like. You come into these circles, right? And you get a little bit bougie about traveling, like, oh my God. Like how long like people here are really slow traveling. So so like <laughs> people here are slow traveling. So they give you a stank face when you're like, Yeah, um, I did I did uh you know, when you say you did a country but you're only there for four days, it's like <laughs> excuse me? Like, no. Like, I mean even now, like with me, I'm not really about countries per se, but about cities. Like, you know, what city is that? Because every city has a different feel, you know? And I think yeah. that is, because, um, you know, Toronto is completely different from Montreal. You can't come to Toronto only and say you've been to Canada. That's just not true. I haven't been to Canada and I'm Canadian. <laughs> like, like, if I'm really, 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 really trying to take it, I haven't been to Canada. Like I haven't been to Vancouver. Like there's places I haven't, there's provinces I haven't seen. There's places still have to go. I'm not that I'm being like a, a purist or anything, but I'm like saying, I think it's kind of weird, like fast traveling and saying, okay, you've conquered this, you've conquered that, you've conquered that, and that's it, right? And yeah, it's cool to touch down in a place and be able to have a flag on your profile and stuff, but. At the same time, different places have different feels. And even like being in Chiang Mai now, I went to, we, did, we, did a, um, we went to a place called Chiang Dao to plant trees with the co-living co space, which I'll go into uh, later uh, with co-living, um, which is something I'm really, really, really exploring. Um, but we went to this other town called uh, Chiang Dao. It was a completely different feel from Chiang Mai, right? So it's like, you can travel like an app. There are the planes again. Oh my god! You guys, it's real out here. Like, if you don't like planes, don't come here. Don't come here. We don't like planes. <coughs> what I'm trying to say is that, like, so many different places, um, so many different fields, and it's up to you to do your research. Um, you don't have to follow the crowd, like the Nomad crew, everybody's out here in Chiang Mai, or Chiang Mai this, Chiang Mai that. And to be fair, it, I feel like Chiang Mai suits a particular act, uh, archetype of person, and it's not necessarily me. I love it here, but, you know, it's kind of like, I, was, I gave this really, really crude analogy uh, to my friend about Chiang Mai. It was like, Chiang Mai is like that, like, I mean, if I was a guy, right, or whatever, like, if, if I, <laughs> Chiang Mai is oh like, I mean, God, <laughs> I, was, I, was telling, I was telling somebody that, like, Chiang Mai is like this hot girlfriend that you have, and, like, in the beginning, you're like, oh, my God, she's so beautiful, you know, and I can't believe I, I, I'm with her. And then, you know, you're, you're with her for a week or two, and you realize she nags a lot, 
she's a bit messy, she's annoying, and then you're looking at other places and other hot girls, and you're like, yeah, I don't have to be with you anymore. So, <laughs> so that's Chiang Mai right now, because I'm kind of like, there's other amazing places, there's other amazing places in Thailand, you know, and I'm here, the longer I stay here, I'm like, okay, the, the nomads love it, and yeah, the internet's great, but you know, there's, there's other places, too, to go to. You know, a lot of people are talking about Koh Lanta. A lot of people are talking about Pai. Um, pai, Chang, some people are talking about Chiang Rai. If you want something a little bit more rustic and not too city. Like, this place is, is a city for the most part. It's, it's a city. Um, and, so, uh, so, yeah. So what, are your, <laughs> what are your ideas now on fast travel and slow travel? Um... I'm over fast travel. Like I used to do these fast, fast travels um, where I'd be in, as one time I was in Amsterdam for four days. I was in Budapest for five days. And then after that I was in Israel for four, three days. Like ridiculous, disrespectful. It's, I mean, I mean, to, <laughs> like crazy. Like, <laughs> what are you going to do in four days? <coughs> and I'm not saying it to be an asshole because People who want to travel, they only have so much vacation days, so I get it. But if we're saying like nomadic life, where you're gonna be someplace for like, do the slow travel thing. The fast travel thing is cool if like maybe like you're with a friend and you just want to you know, have a crazy time and whatever. But I would highly recommend slower travel because there's less pressure. You can keep track of your spending and your finances. You don't feel like you have to do everything all at once. You can take it in. You can, you can stop and smell the roses. Um, you know, it's funny. I have this really bad habit of uh, being go 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 go. Sometimes I was like walking uh, with the Australian girl that I met, and she's like, "Oh, look at those, look at those." She said, "Like, look at those beautiful." So I didn't know what the name of the flower was. So I was like, oh, what, that restaurant? And she was like, no, 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 stop and smell the roses. Look, those flowers, they're gorgeous. And it took me a while to like look past like the building, to actually look, look at this piece of nature, right? And I'm like, oh my God, she's so right. Like it really dawned on me that sometimes I'm just like, go, 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 go. Um, to the point where I miss things, right? So it's like, Slow travel is great for just absorbing all the details about a particular place because places are about details, especially when you're coming to high context cultures like, uh, like Thailand or like J Japan, Asian countries, you know, um, super high context cultures. I mean, I feel like all, cult all cultures are kind of high, high context, but... Like, it's just about absorbing the details and stuff like that. Even, like, the language, um, like, the greetings. I started I started realizing that my intonation was wrong. You know, when people go, Sawadika, Sawadika, or, like, Sawadika. And I was like, it was Sawadika, right? You, just the way they say you start listening better. Oh, my God. Just, like, start <laughs> It's just. I don't know if I'm going on a rant that doesn't make sense to people. I hope I make sense to everybody, but you absorb like so much detail when you just slow down, you know, and there's less fresh to do things. 
you know? Very true. Yeah. That so, has been like, mm-hmm. that has been like my meditation thing. I, I meditate for like 10 minutes in the morning. And uh, my thing is just slowing it down a little bit, like just being slow. Like, I mean, you hear me now, I talk fast, I talk a lot. Da, 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 da. Yes, meditation, absolutely. Like uh, having a mindfulness practice like that absolutely helps you to to notice more stuff. Like I was looking for a, a place to stay. Um, I just came to Indonesia today and I didn't book beforehand. I usually always do and I'm never doing that again. <laughs> but like I'm just kind of like staring off into space, like watching this lady wash clothes as I'm trying to figure out if this man can take me to the place that I need to go. (laughs) Um, Like a little taxi driver or whatever. So yes, it's moments like those where it's like, oh yeah, like I've seen this before in Jamaica, like people hand washing clothes, like the style of it. Cause like people wash clothes differently everywhere. People do everything different everywhere, just about. But y'all, so tell me, what has the co-living situation there been like? You said you wanted to give it a try. It seems like y'all going on field trips. <laughs> like, what has it been like? <laughs> oh, my God. You know what? It's, 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 I wouldn't say it's for the faint of heart. I mean, <laughs> it's like, um, okay, it's, it's got its ups and it's got its downs. Um, its ups is that you come straight into a ready built community that is ready to embrace you because everybody is traveling. Everybody has the same mindset. You know, you've got teachers, you know, I met there's someone here who works for the same company, one of the same companies as, as I am. And it's like, it's great to have like, it's like I have a coworker here. It's wonderful. Um, and, uh, You've got people with their coaching businesses. You've got people who build websites. Um, You have all different kinds of people who can teach you different things and inspire you. And of course, like you can, you don't have to do things by yourself if you don't want to. You know, you can always grab somebody to go with you. You don't have to eat alone. You don't have to do anything alone. Um, You can. Uh, so with the co-working space, one of the first activities I did was uh, tree planting. So I went tree planting. That was such a wonderful experience because uh, it was with an organization. So again, it was they again these these spaces. This space is owned by a Thai family, and they have connections with different groups like like the locals. And there's a local group that's uh, it's an environmental group, and it's called um, Clean Air for All because uh, Chiang Mai uh, really had a bad burning season and there's a lot of pollution coming from uh, Burma and uh, what's the other country? It's Burma, it's not Vietnam, it might be China, but basically it's like you learn about the actual real problems like facing um, this, the city, right? The city, it's, it's, it's people. So we went up to uh, Chengdao and we planted some trees and things like that. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. The connection is breaking up just a little bit. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me now? Okay. Yes, I think. Yeah. (laughs) 
dude, we went up to Changdao. We planted like a bunch of trees, like probably like 50 trees. It was so great. It was good to like uh, ground. I think they call it grounding in these hippie circles, right? Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be facetious. Like, don't don't mind me. Um, but like, it's you know when. <laughs> Uh, you're touching the soil you feel very very connected to the ground and everything around you right and it was such a touching experience and oh man the views oh gosh it was wonderful like being there and seeing it um so again like Chiang Mai as I've ragged a lot about Chiang Mai but really I'm ragging about Niman like that's what I'm <laughs> I mean that's, that's what I'm specific yeah, if I'm being very specific, because Chiang Mai in general is very, very beautiful. And I'm sure there's places that I haven't seen and I haven't explored, and that's why people love this place so much. Uh, but, oh, my God, but Niman, like... I, I feel like I, if, you, if you have to look too hard to find the thing that moves you, like, I don't know. Like, I think sometimes <laughs> because places are popular, we try to make them, like, we try to like them, but, like, Everywhere ain't for everybody. That's why there's so many places. Oh, like, sure. like I've, I've already decided that like Chiang Mai, like it's just not my, it's not my thing. Not but jam. again, I, and, but I'm just saying that like it's you know because I'm sure some of them are like she's completely wrong. She has no idea. She's never been to this area. So, you know. So I'm just like giving being transparent about my my limitations when I'm when I'm talking about Chiang Mai. Like, um, like because there's areas I go to in some some neighborhoods. So I went. And one great thing about knowing some locals, uh, especially like me, I chill with the receptionists out here, like people who work, uh, the people who are doing like, who are cleaning and stuff like that, like try to talk to them. They might not know English, just try to talk to them. Um, and like, they really, really hook you up. Like I got my lashes done. And yeah, I love, I love all that girly stuff. Yes, you, know, you, you do. Know. I was looking at your photos, looking all, you know. <laughs> By an angel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love all that girl. I love it. Um, and I think one of those one misconception is that oh yeah, you have to be like incredibly minimalist, you know, for this to work. And no, you don't have to be minimalist. You don't have to be minimalist. No, you, know, you don't. You can look. Yeah. What yeah, you you around the world? You just have to be willing to look it. Like exactly. However exactly. often you move. Exactly. So. You know, she uh, took me to this place to get my lashes done, and it was ten dollars to get my lashes done. I was like, "Are you ten and it was American good. dollars? <laughs> ten, ten, ten American, ten American dollars? But compared to one hundred and fifteen Canada, yo!" And like your lashes are like your real lashes are still on your face. Yeah, like it's well. I mean, I. I'm, I gotta have to wait three weeks to see what happens. I mean, oh, okay, okay. Have well, why don't you just update us? Let us know. <laughs> <I'll update. laughs> Y'all, my, my, I have bald eyes now. My eyes are bald. <laughs> my eyes are bald. But, you know, I was going off, like, the locals. She she goes there all the time, right? And her lashes were just amazing. I was like, where are you going? And she took me to this, like, other neighborhood on motorbike. Oh, people love bikes here. Like, bikes are, like, this place is like Amsterdam, but like scooters for scooters. People love scooters here. I think it's just more affordable than the actual car because people be poor. Yeah, the grabs and stuff. Yeah, but the scooters are great though, man. Just riding yeah. 
and just having everything just flow. Oh God, it was great. It was wonderful. Um, so yeah, she took me to this whole other neighborhood because I'm out here in Nimon being like, okay, stuff is cheap, but it's not that cheap. How are people affording this stuff? Like you go to the 7-Eleven and like, <laughs> and Ferrero Rocher is still a dollar. I was like, what? Like, that doesn't make sense. This isn't adding up. Why am I still paying 200 baht for a Ferrero Rocher? That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Like, but it's, it's an international brand. It, like Nike or I don't know. Yeah, but I'm like go 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 diva like coach bags. Like sometimes they don't bring the prices down to reflect local cost of living. Like they keep them shits exactly where they are because they want their coins. And you know what? Like there are a lot of um, Chinese. Uh, there are a lot of China Chinese uh, tourists here. So I think a lot of it is. I mean, just... they are everywhere. <laughs> Like oh, they, they, call, they, they are the they, other colonizers. Maya Mall? Maya Mall? Ain't <laughs> no Thai people in there. Where? Where did you say? <laughs> so, Maya Mall in Niman. There's this place called Maya Mall, right? Check this out. Maya Mall? Maya Mall? Yo, that place is better than any mall I've been to in Canada. So, like, <laughs> I mean, like, what? Um, my Maya Mall, or some people call it Maya Mall. I call it Maya Mall. <laughs> my brother's name is Maya, so I think, oh, Maya would love this place. <laughs> Brother is so bougie. He's like sixteen and super bougie, ridiculous. Uh, he he wouldn't touch fake i fake AirPods, and I'm like, you're you're crazy. I'm not spending two hundred dollars for AirPods. You're out of your mind. <laughs> he's just yeah. He's just a young man that knows what he wants. I don't know that that's yeah. bougie. It is what it is. Like he's he's really, but well, he's funny. I make fun of him for it all the time. Uh, so um, yeah. So my mom, like, I look at some of the prices. I'm like, who is buying this stuff? Because I mean, I can't even get these things, right? So you go in there thinking that, <laughs> oh yeah, it's gonna be a lot cheaper. Uh, no man, absolutely not. <laughs> but you realize it's, it's all the Chinese tourists. It's a lot. And um, I went to the warm-up cafe, which is one of a cool place to go if you ever go to Chiang Mai. I love the warm-up cafe. Um, uh, and I met some Thai, some Thai locals. Like I managed to, I met some Americans there, some Thai locals there and stuff. And they were really like, yeah, we don't really, we don't really fuck with the Chinese like that. Like they're just out here. Like there's a lot of them. And I was like, more than the white people here? They're like, yo, they are everywhere. And I was like, oh my gosh. I'm telling you, wow. they are the other colonizers. If everywhere <laughs> you go, there's a, a Chinatown. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, Vancouver, like in Canada, uh, everyone's complaining about them. I mean, it's so bad that even the like Chinese immigrants, like, you know, the Chinese immigrants who've been in Canada, like the ones who built the railroads, you know, like they've been in Canada. They're complaining about the Chinese. Like, you know, it's bad when Chinese people are complaining about other Chinese people. Yeah, like, but it's like, I don't wow. know. There's a disconnect there, I think. <laughs> like yeah, culturally it's... speaking. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. So um, like they, they don't, probably... they see them as other yeah, they see them as completely... When the white people see them as other, so... <laughs> it's so crazy. Like, it's, it's just nuts. Um, 
with that whole that whole debate is just nuts. The whole situation in Vancouver, even situation in Toronto and stuff, housing and community, all that stuff. It's super duper complicated. But yeah, well, I mean, isn't it? You know, <laughs> give people their things, move out the way. Yeah, which like brings in like the whole sustainable travel thing. How do you like travel and be in a space? without being part of the problem where okay now people can't afford to live here because you know everybody's coming here all the nomads are coming here and they're spending money and they're you know all these things are opening and how do you- well, I, think, I think that's something you tackle a little bit by little bit where are you spending your money are you spending your money with locals or are you feeding the the big guys are oh, you I'm, going I'm, to the big not not you personally but i'm just uh, talking about sustainable travel because if you if you're helping people to feed themselves and their families i think that that's that goes a long way being able to spend that kind of money um yeah with people me, who who need it more than the the corporations mm-hmm. with me like i'm a bit of both like I'm not going to be out here and pretend to be Jesus and that like, I'm just like, I'm, yeah, I'm really out here saving the families and stuff with me. What I do, I do tip though. I always tip, but a lot of times are pride, prideful and they don't want to. And I think maybe it's because they think, whoa, it's a lot of money. You should give me, right. I do tip, especially, uh, people who are working street food, see them every day. You know, there's a street, there's a few street food places that I go to re- religiously because I don't cook. Since coming to Chiang Mai, I have not picked up a spatula or anything. Like nobody out here. Yeah, cooks. A spatula. <laughs> Why is that your go-to utensil? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't picked up anything. <laughs> so like, there's a street food place I go to, and uh, just to give people an idea of the prices, like. You can get a meal for 35 baht, which is basically a dollar um, or less than that. Uh, just a point of reference. Uh, so Canadian dollars, a uh, hundred baht is four Canadian dollars. So I treat the hundred bahts like they're four dollars or five dollars, right? And then 200 baht, uh, sorry, 200 baht is eight dollars, of course. And then the next one down is 20 baht. And I treat those like it's a dollar, right? So you can buy, so that's $1 Canadian 20 baht. So I think it's around a dollar if you're spending 35 baht for a meal. And in a meal, you get like rice, you'll get like some meat on the side, good portion, and you'll get an egg and whatever, and that's a meal. And then depending on where you go, whatever, but for the most part, you're, you're living lavish if you're spending more than a hundred baht for a plate of Thai food, for sure. <laughs> like that's what, from my, from what I'm seeing. Um, but for the most part, I love the, the street food is, the street food is great. Uh, it's safe. I haven't really had any problems. The one problem I did have was from a restaurant like that just passed through me. Like, yeah. So the street food, like I have, <laughs> had a problem with funnily enough so definitely don't be afraid of the street food i mean you could get skewers for five baht like what 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 if she was like five baht i just i was like i was like i didn't hear you properly <laughs> like that's so cheap <laughs> for like a skew of like skewer of pork um so you could really 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 cheap it out here 
and cheap you know, it out. Cheap it out here and have a full stomach. Yeah, for sure. Um, so and it's great. You were talking huh? about your brother uh, Nehemiah. So since yeah. you have given him your apartment in Montreal, um, no, no, I, I have two brothers. I have two brothers. Oh. Yeah, so Nehemiah is my youngest brother. He is 16. <laughs> he's 16. I call him our anchor baby because he's he was like the born Canadian. <laughs> like he was born here in Canada. He was born in Canada. Um, and uh, he he's like my, I treat him like he's my baby in a way because I used to just carry him around when I was 13. I was like 13 or 12 when he was born. I just carry him around. People used to think I was a teen mom. All I was just with him all the time. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I was. I took care of him. I take him to daycare. I bring him back. I feed him. Da 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 da. Like, like I was literally like a little mom for him. So he's like my kid. And like I, yeah, I talk to him um, on Instagram and stuff. But I have an older brother as well who is twenty six. We're also very close. I'm super close to my brothers. They are my the big loves of my life. Um, and uh, yeah, he lives in Toronto, uh, though. He's the one I gave my apartment to. But he soon he's left Toronto. He's like, yeah, I can't do this. <laughs> he left Toronto. Either. Once called Mississauga, which is, I love Mississauga. It's great. So he lives in Mississauga there. And uh, he's a personal trainer. So yeah. Hmm. That's my. Want to drop yeah, his Instagram for the girls? Or? <laughs> <laughs> drop Instagram. His, his Instagram. Okay. Uh, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, um, no, 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 I'm joking. Um, yeah. So, what are, what are your relationships like with them since you've left? Um. With I mean, my brother's super busy. I mean, it's it's tough to to me. I I try to make my calls at night, like before I go to bed. Because that's when everybody's waking up or whatever. Usually, like, I don't really get to talk to them much during the week. But during the weekends, that's when I'm, like, really connecting and talking to them and things like that. So, yeah. Wow. They're, like, like on the about- phone. That is amazing. Oh, I have friend that I talk to on the phone. Oh. Here. Did I phone? On my phone through Instagram. That's where we talk, like. <laughs> but, like, it's an actual, like, conversation versus messaging oh yeah yeah we Marco don't, Polo I, that's amazing yeah. <laughs> not like I know we need to even at home like it's always like talking I talk to my my I talk to my brother for hours sometimes like because it's therapeutic because in a way like we had a bit like when we moved from London to Canada it was traumatic it was trauma and I feel like we didn't really process it at such because everybody in in England was like, oh yeah, you guys live in Canada, it's so amazing there. They weren't really getting how hard it was for us. Like it was straight up trauma. Like we what went was from like about it. Well, we went from living in in Southeast London where everybody's Nigerian. It's like little Nigeria there. Like if you ever go, if you ever go to Southeast London. Please go. Uh, it's, it's Nigerians and Jamaicans in that area. Really, really black. I went to a very black school um, with, you know, white kids in there too, but I never felt out of place. I was very, 
comfortable. You know, I didn't feel, here's the thing about Southeast London that a lot of people are going to find it weird because England, people see England like it's tea and crumpets and it's like just white folk, but there's areas that are very, very black. And the thing about the white folk in England is that they're completely different from the white folk in Canada. And I don't know, maybe parts of the US is different again, like, just have to be sensitive to the areas and the cities and stuff like that. But from my perspective, I never felt any type of ways. I never ever felt that a white person was better than me or that they had more privileges than me. Even though now I do talk about things like white privilege and stuff like that. But like, as I was growing up, I was never made to feel inferior to a white person. In fact, my pride, my, my um, primary school teacher was Nigerian, just like me. I still remember her name was her name wow. was Mrs. Her name was Mrs. Elajade, and then she even she rose up. She became the superintendent, and then the the next teacher who was like who ran the school, I think, was like was also black. I think Jamaican. She like like do you know what I mean? Like when you have like, how could you feel a ways or inferior? How could you feel that you couldn't amount to anyone when you have that type of role model, those role models around you. I was put in a gifted class. I yeah. was in a gifted and talented class with like four or five, half the class was, was black. So to me, like you couldn't come up to me and tell me that there wasn't this like stereotype of like black people being stupid or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. like I didn't, feel any type of racial inferiority. And it wasn't until I moved to Canada that I started feeling a type of ways about stuff. Um, it was just weird. I didn't feel like I felt very comfortable in London. And even though, yes, there are racial problems in London and, you know, you grow up as an adult and you start realizing, oh shit, like, you know, these people are out of pocket. I think that was <laughs> a pilot when, when uh, Grenfell, Grenfell Tower, Yes, yes, yes. I mean, that's not the only time, obviously, but that's something recent that I had in my mind when it comes to racial disparity. Oh, yeah. And Grenfell Tower is is in a nice area. That's the gag. But the thing is that the thing about the classism in England is that from what I see, it's not racialized. It's not racialized like it is in, I feel, in Canada and possibly in the U.S., like it's like it's it's like you see down and out white folk so who are you to tell me that you're amazing because you're white like you know what i mean like you see it was like just you could i don't i don't know if i'm if i'm communicating it right but you saw upper class black people you saw lower class black people you saw upper class white people you saw lower class uh, white people and so on and so on right? right so you felt like you were just like everybody else right so it you were like you had a, as much of a right to be there at least in my area but I'm in the Southwark borough I'm in southeast London I'm where you see black doctors you see black this black that you know where I mean where accent come from <laughs> doctors pardon I said where did that accent come from doctors it, Weird, like y'all need to understand that when I first came to Canada, I had like a weird accent change. 
when I'm talking about London or when the memories are coming back or when I'm talking to my cousin, my accent just uh, does something really, really I funny. See. Yeah, so it's but just weird. But but I love I love your perspective. I love that you've been able to experience different places in your skin and see how it is different. But that's the thing is like en enough people don't get out of their own water in order to experience yeah. that. So it's just like, this is my experience. It must exist all over the world. And it's like, no, that's not how oh, that works. Oh. So I had like, it was weird. I had to go, it was weird going through like an identity crisis in a little, in a way, right? So, okay, so I moved from a place where I'm super comfortable where there's Nigerian restaurants, for heaven's sakes. Do you know what I mean? So it's like everything, you feel like you belong there. You don't feel like a foreigner. Even though, like, you know, you're, everybody in your family speaks with an accent. Like, you, you don't feel like one. You feel like you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And then it was completely uprooted in a shocking way because we didn't even know we were moving. Like, Nigerians are weird like that. Like, they won't even tell you. They just shock you. You know, like, we didn't even know it was going to be a permanent move. We just thought it was a vacation. It was a permanent move. And, yeah, and I didn't see my family the people who I'd grown up with my cousins my grandma my aunt all those people I didn't see them for a year and that was trauma and it wasn't even just that it was like moving from a situation where like my household is like all women with you know my uncle coming in once in a while and like oh I had a I had a like pretty good childhood in the sense that like we got we go to Spain like every freaking quarter like probably more than that, we were always in Spain because uh, my uncle lived there and he like worked on boats and stuff and then he opened a bakery there, right? Um, so yeah, so I went from that and really feeling comfortable to going to this place that was, the air ate your face because of how cold it was with these fast <laughs> oh Canadians, you know, and you know, having things be so far away, man. When you're in London, everything's so close. You have the buses, you have the tube, everything's so close. I remember, like, we had to trek, like, because I just don't, there wasn't any money. So we weren't even, we didn't have, like, money to go to the bus, to go on the bus. Like, that was, like, a luxury. I had to walk from our apartment building to go to school in this horrible place that was called middle school with, like, <laughs> with like 10 classes per grade. So it felt like I was just, I was like, what is this? It was just, just too many people. I hated absolutely everything about it. Um, and I was, I was still childish, you know? Um, I still wanted to play, you know, what's the time, Mr. Wolf and like stupid, things that we all these childish British games that we used to play yeah um in the I was so childish and I was wondering why people weren't skipping and playing you know like you guys call it double dutch um I was wondering why people weren't doing that anymore and it was so strange to me how I felt like people were a lot more grown up people were bigger um and then I went from being one of the eldest in my class to one of the youngest uh, because of how the grades, the ages changed. So I was super immature um, and I didn't get it. And I was kind of 
ostracized for it. And, you know, she's the, the weird British kid with the strange, the strange accent. And people were asking me, uh, why are you black if you're from England? And I was like, the fuck? <laughs> Excuse oh my, my language. I was, yeah, so it was just weird. I felt like every single thing was being attacked. I was like, first it was just who I was. And then it was like my interests. And I felt like in terms of, in some courses, I was incredibly behind. I'd never taken French in my life. And you had to take French in Canada um, uh, at like grade seven. So I was like super behind. But with other stuff, they were super behind. Like my English skills and writing skills were way beyond what they were doing. And they just didn't have enough general knowledge. Like, I mean, it was weird. So like people were just, I was, you know, a little bit precocious. So, you know, people hated me for that. So it was just really odd. And then the sports, like we used to play soccer. I was a soccer girl. I loved soccer. We didn't even do that. It was all about basketball and volleyball. And I did not know how to, oh God, it was just trauma to trauma. I didn't feel like I fit, it, fit into Canada. I was like, I was like, when are we going to go back? This is a nightmare. And then to top that all off, it was just that um, my um, stepfather was incredibly abusive towards everybody in the family. Incredibly abusive, physically abusive. So it was like, I hated absolutely everything. And it was trauma. And it's trauma that I'm still like working through, you know, because it doesn't completely go away. And recently, I find that my brother hasn't completely healed from that trauma either. So, <laughs> sorry for the dark turn of like things, but That's like, life. yeah, that is life. Yeah. So how was, how has that how has that shaped how you experience since you went through that really big turn? You're at that age, you know that age where things are changing anyway and you move countries and you're feeling ostracized. And I'm, I'm usually at that age, we don't have the language to have the conversations with one another about what we're going oh. through, but you're developing that language and having those conversations now with your brothers. Yeah. So like and it's how it's mm -hmm. so therapeutic. Yeah. It's incredibly therapeutic. And then my mom did another thing. She, she shocked my, my little brother too. She sent him to Nigeria to boarding school. And the, me and my brother were incredibly mad about it. We were like, what are we doing? But to her, she felt like um, she had no choice but to do so. Um, so this was uh, some years back. She sent him to uh, boarding school in Nigeria. But I mean, it, it kind of paid off because his, his grades are amazing now and stuff. But I don't want, I don't know of the trauma he's going through. I mean, funnily enough though, he seems that like, he seems really Nigerian. Like he, he goes to a private school now that has, um, which is crazy. I mean, the, another thing is that like, we went from having zero money to like my mom going back to school and everything. And all of a sudden having money, like they're crazy. So now my brother goes to like a really, really nice private school and stuff in the suburbs. Um, so, and a lot of the, uh, students there are Nigerian. So my mom like made sure that he was in the, around like people like him and stuff like that. Um, and he's very, very comfortable. has like a really solid group of, group of friends is very confident now and is able to express himself because when he was younger, 
um, I don't know, I think maybe it was the trauma from uh, his father, my stepfather, but he was a very uh, introverted child. He's always been very introverted, and but more he's coming out of his shell more. And I think it's, you know, not to give, not to pat myself too hard on the back, but I think it's from having the support and, and love from siblings, from his siblings. Girl, you better pat. <laughs> yeah. Because a lot of people don't have that. And who knows what yeah. he might have experienced unless he had been able to have those conversations with, with his siblings. Yeah, so it's like, but even then, like, when he, like, man, I was so, like, just the trauma of, like, now you're, like, moving to a completely different country. And funnily enough, now he's, like, more Nigerian than us, even though he was the one who was born here in Canada. You know, like, he's, like, super, more Nigerian than us. It's crazy. Um, but, I mean, that's and, cultural, right? So it makes sense. Even though he was born there, like, a lot of his... Yeah, but a lot of his, like, he spent about, I think, time... Yeah, I spent about five years there or so, four or five years there going to school because she was like, the schools here are terrible. They're, uh, they're racializing, uh, they're pigeonholing and race, race, um, stereotyping him. And like, they wanted to put him in special ed. Can you believe that? They wanted to put my little brother in special ed. Yeah, and now my little brother's- Not because he deserved it, but because that's how they yeah, do it. Served it, but because they just don't know how to deal with boys, let alone black boys. Um, and they don't have the patience, they don't give a crap, they'll label you forever. Um, yeah. and now my brother skipped a grade. My brother, when he came back, he skipped a grade, and of course. he's six, yeah, and he's going to he'll be in university next year. So it's like it's crazy how, like, you know, I see it in real time how people say, Oh, yeah, people. People marginalize them and pigeonhole black kids and they, they make them feel stupid and then they, they then the black kids fall into it. They, 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 they get into it and they're like, fuck it, maybe I am stupid. And it's crazy. Like when you do that, I, I read something like, I'm forgetting what, it, what it's called. I'm going to have to look it up. But somebody said something about um, if, you, if you, they did an experiment, if you tell a kid or you tell something, Tell, tell, tell a person, or it could be anything really, but if you keep telling them that they're dumb and keep reinforcing that they won't amount yeah. to anything, so in a way, my mom took a huge risk by putting him somewhere where, okay, it's other black kids, you know, he stayed with my great aunt, my great uncle, with kids who were his age, uh, because we were his age, I was in university, I did not have time to really regulate my little brother back then, uh, so it, she felt like she had no choice. And that's part of the reason why he went to Nigeria. Um, and he had the whole cultural shock and stuff, but he got into swing of things, <coughs> was doing poorly in school because the standards in Nigeria are just like crazy. And then he started getting better. And now, you know, it's got to the point where he's here and it's like he just eats all of these things for breakfast. <coughs> so, um, so it's amazing seeing, like, I just see it in my own two eyes how, how people could damage your kids if you are not careful, if you're not watching over, if you, if you don't see, like, like, if you believe these teachers sometimes. I know kids be acting up, but you have to be in their corner. That's their job. It is literally your job as a child to be naive, to find yourself and a lot of times that is through rebellion that is mm -hmm. what you do it's like you're telling me to do this i want to do the opposite because 
I don't know that that's right for me or whatever. That goes against my personality. How many of us are put through the exact same system when that system doesn't serve us? We all have, we're, we're all different. We have different learning styles. We have, you know, different everything essentially. So yeah. I'm not saying that they should go and like act a fool cause like don't, mm-hmm. but, but still like you kind of expect that. And there's so many of them like if you have a class of 30, you're definitely going to have some people that are going to act out. That's just what they do. And sometimes they're acting out for a reason as well. They just don't know how to express themselves. They don't have the tools. They're coming from these uh, homes where they're not supported. And then they get to school and they're further not supported. Mm-hmm. But that is awesome that he has you and your other brother and that you all more importantly are talking about it so that you can start to address some of those things that happen and be like yeah that was really messed up Mm -hmm. definitely (sighs) the healing process yes do that again (laughs) um you you talked about but but saying that you i also saw like a post where you talked about your experiences in London where you didn't feel safe. Yes, 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 yes. But this has less to do with me being black and more to do with me being a woman. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, London is just like street harassment central. Like, it's crazy. Even um, I was walking uh, with my friend. So I met, actually, I, I'm one of the good things about growing up in, leaving Canada, actually, was that I clung to the friends that I made in, in, in primary school. My primary school friends, I clung to them throughout the years. I still have my primary school friends. And um, so kids that, that were, we were eight years old, like since we were eight, right? And I've still managed to like still cling on to them. So one of my friends, Janina, she just got married. I have this like crazy friend who's like, you know, was in, um, lives in Afghanistan and like has came back like you know she's working as a consultant there like it's just weird like and we're all coming from southeast London this like school southeast London and then another one my Polish friend who I grew up with right um Janina she just got married um and yeah I still talk to them like you know and it's like they can still in a way they're like my sisters they'll always be my sisters um, and so I was out with Valerie for a bit. Valerie's uh, about to have a baby. Uh, she's, um, yeah, and we were out and this guy was, um, like, came up to us and started, like, kind of harassing us. And I was like, what the heck? Like, he was like, oh, I know, I know you. Do I know you? Da, 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 da. And, like, just up in your face. I've had situations where, like, I'm walking down the street and dudes will follow you um mm-hmm. to where you're going and it's just this anger when you ignore them like the street harassment in london is horrible so like there's a story about the um about two lesbians uh who were attacked on a bus and like oh my god i was so angry because i was like yeah i completely believe that this happened because i've been I've seen situations where you're just so close to the, to the fuckery. Like you're on a double decker bus and <clears throat> dude is at the back and he's like, he's, he's out of pocket. 
there's just times where people in London can be very aggressive. I think London is just going through something right now. Like it's really, really like you can feel it in the air. This is one of the, it's one of the reasons why I never wanted to go back. Even though I had this thirst to go back because of all the trauma, I never, I knew that London was not an option when it came to actually living there. Because unless you're living in one of the protected areas, and even in the protected areas, as we saw with Grenfell, mm -hmm. you're not The classism in London is on a whole nother level. Like, you know classism is on a whole nother level when the white people are feeling it. Like, like when they're the ones feeling it hard, like, oh my you're God. not <laughs> You just no, know. I definitely. I, I spent a little bit of time there, what, like a couple years ago. Um, and I witnessed something like that happen on the bus. It was a little late, not super late, but it was dark out. And some dude was trashed. And like his friends got off somewhere and he was like by himself. And there was this girl sitting by herself and he went to go sit next to her. And like he was trying to come on to her and stuff. So as women, like we just don't often know how to take up space. We don't know how to protect ourselves. We don't know what to say. We are we're shocked when these things happen. We just like never really expect it. Or if it does happen, we don't like we freeze. We don't know what to do, right? So I was just like, hey, get up. She doesn't want you to sit next to her. Like, get that ass up. And like the the bus driver saw everything that was happening. I guess it's like, I don't know, like, I guess he can't pull that shit over and, like, kick him off, although I would think that would be within his rights, but British? <laughs> I don't know, but he was just like, thank you. Oh, but it's just, it's scary things like that, you know? Oh, wild. Including, especially these football hooligans, they call them football hooligans. Football hooligans. <laughs> They're running wild, man. Oh my gosh, it's like, you just have to be careful, like, in London, you gotta be careful. Like here in Chiang Mai, I feel safe because ain't nobody looking at you here. Like <laughs> for real, for real. Although, like you do hear the occasional stories, and it might be because uh, it might be white women. Um, because like I'm in one of the women groups for Chiang Mai, and you know sometimes they'll talk about somebody coming by and copping a feel or something like that. Um, I I never personally felt, but that doesn't mean. You know, that's anecdotal. But with London, I feel like it happens too much that it's, it's remarkable. Yeah. You know, like it's like, yeah. if it doesn't happen the first night you're out, it might happen on the fourth night or the sixth or the tenth. And it's like, it's too much. It's really too much. I like, mean, anytime ever is too much. So starting there. <laughs> For sure. So talk to me about the way that you travel so um checking out your instagram <laughs> like you can see like really gorgeous architecture and patterns and there's a lot of nature so what do you gravitate towards when you're purely being a tourist i know you said you've been like focused on working while you're there in chiang mai and haven't explored as much as you normally would i haven't but with me I gravitate towards like I love parks and stuff like that. Any type of natural type of thing I'm really into. That's why the tree planting thing really, really, um, really, really appealed to me. Um, 
Uh, I'm kind of over churches and stuff like that. And to be honest, I'm yet to see a temple. And it's not because I'm... <laughs> it's not that I'm not interested. <laughs> what? Yes, I, you I just love it. You just like, you know, everybody's all about... <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see some trees. Like, show me the mountains. Like, it's really good. Veggie. <laughs> I just never heard nobody say that. Like, I mean, do your worship thing or whatever, but them buildings ain't cute. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's beautiful, but I'm like, you know, it's it's great, but I'm just ah, oh, I don't know. Like, just seeing it's it's beautiful. When I see it in people's pictures, I'm like, oh. We're in the same place, <laughs> you know. Like I'm like, you know, people are out here going to visit the temples and stuff, and it's like, <clears throat> maybe it's just me. Maybe it's because religion is in the blood in a way. And um, I grew up as a Pentecostal, uh, and I've always been like wishy-washy about Christianity. I mean, now I've realized that it's not for me. You know, nobody sent this link to my to my family because I'm still like kind of closeted about it. But like, it's just I don't want to start any fights. I don't want anyone trying to deliver me. I don't want any. I don't ambush. Like, do you know what I mean? But for the most part, I I I don't want to. Maybe it's because I'm in the closet. I think it's because I'm in the closet about my religion. I've never heard. I have never heard. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think I'm doing I've... everything today. You are so freaking funny. Closeted. Okay. Okay. So don't send the link, but what do you have to say about it? That is part of the trauma, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I'm super closeted about my religious uh, affiliations. My, You know, it's funny. Um, I, I, out of rebelliousness, and because I'm currently kind of not really talking to my mom right now for for a reason I don't really want to get into and like hijack the entire thing. This is about traveling and nomadism and stuff. I don't really want to talk too much. I've talked enough, of, enough about like trauma and stuff, but one of the things that really traumatized me growing up was the fact that we had to wake up so early every single morning and do what was called quiet time when I came here to Canada. So thing like I never did quiet time or anything like that when I was in, um, in England. Like my aunt has been, like I grew up mostly with my aunt before my mom kind of hijacked my my childhood, right? And she was pretty black. Religion, my mom and my aunt have always been kind of like been laid back. Like we'd go to church and stuff, but that was it. Like we weren't they weren't Bible thumping, they weren't doing all of that stuff. But I don't know what it was. All the unsavory, huh? condemning you, like all the unsavory things about religion. About, I didn't really see Christianity like that. I just thought there's morals in the Bible. You know, you do this. It's just a foundation. And that was it. This is why we should be nice people. That's literally what I got from it. But when I moved to Canada with my mom, it was like super real. Everything was real. It was so ridiculous. It was we'd have night vigils and we'd be in church at 4 a.m. in the morning like ridiculous and we'd have quiet times every morning so we'd have to wake up like at five or six o'clock in the morning to pray and it wasn't even nice prayers it was just like you had to like um 
you you had to do what was called um god uh prayer points and it wasn't even nice it was all about smiting your enemies and all that stupid stuff and all this really aggressive stuff that i just wasn't i wasn't into at all and like me and my brother used to kind of laugh about it and it was a little bit blasphemous we thought like we would we were going to have like there was one time we were at church and we were doing we had to do this aggressive like if so if you guys go in and go on youtube or whatever type in like pentecostal churches and then doing the prayer point especially nigerian pentecostal church it's so aggressive it's like straight up like spiritual warfare it's supposed to be like a like a soldier like it's just ridiculous utterly ridiculous we used to like joke about and like dance around there's one time when we like did the soldier boy while everybody was no <laughs> okay now you're making stuff up the act of Listen, I'm on your side, I'm in your corner, but like now you just make it so good. <laughs> Me and my brother just used to act a fool sometimes. Like, we just, we just weren't with it. And one of the reasons we weren't with it is because we didn't see value in it because we were like, we didn't see our mom as somebody to emulate, and we didn't see our stepfather as somebody to emulate. So we were like, yeah, like, what is this? Like, y'all are trash. I don't want to do anything y'all do. <laughs> right? I that's the hard live, part, though. I didn't want to live the lives they were living. I was like, this is hell. This is hell. We are in hell right now. What are you talking about? I'm going to hell. I'm in hell right I'm, I'm in hell right now. The air is biting my face here. You know, I'm not happy here. I miss my grandmother. I miss my cousins Aww. I used to take care of. Like, I'm not, like, this is hell. What are you talking about we're going to hell? Bring it on. I wonder what they got. Like, literally, I was very, um, but at the same time, religion was also in my blood, too. Because I felt like God was constantly watching me and judging me. Um, I felt, oh, God, just all these different things. I, because I really, it's weird having this relationship where you believe in God. Because I truly did believe. And in a way, I still do believe. Right. You know, you believe in God and you believe in some of these things. But you don't believe who it's coming from and you hate everybody around you. Right. So it's like, in a way, a part of me, um, I've had these experiences where I had this friend, Trisha, who uh, we went to a psychic together, right? And, oh God, Nigerians hate psychics. They hate all this stuff, right? They hate like, um, oh my God, if it's not Christian, oh. Veggie, if you can hear me, I can't hear you. Can you hear can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, it dropped out. I don't know if you heard me t- tell you that. Okay. Okay, I I can can you hear me now? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. 
They're like, I was saying that I couldn't even read Harry Potter. And I devoured those books. I used to sneak and hide and read them. Yes. Like, I used to buy them behind my back and, like, read them. And I'd read them over and over and over and over and over and over again. I love them so much. Um, that's how deep it was. Like, it was so yeah. constraining. Yeah, but there's stuff that, like, I still, like, hold on to. Like, so, for example, I have no tattoos because that was one of those big things. I don't get a tattoo. I don't have a tattoo. And I was, uh, and then the time I did go to a psychic, and you're not supposed to go to a psychic, I went with a friend, Trisha. And then um, some, a few years after that, Trisha developed schizophrenia and uh, had some problems. And then she died of a drugs overdose. And that was traumatizing. So prepares you for that, that's for sure. I'm so sorry that happened. And it was crazy. We were supposed to be uh, we were supposed to be roommates. Actually, we were supposed to be roommates. Um, because so she was going through the schizophrenia thing, and I was just I was clueless as to what was going on. I was yeah. like twenty. I was 23, you know, I was doing my, um, I was doing uh, my post-grad and like, I wanted to care for her because I was like, I don't know what's going on. Um, so I was like, okay, let's be roommates. And we're supposed to like sign a lease with like two other girls in this place in, the, in like North Toronto, mm-hmm. and, which is like, you know, close to where my school was, close to where like everybody was going to be working and stuff. It just was going to work out. And then like, I don't hear Patricia for days and like she does this type of thing where she loses her phone or something like that. And again, I wanted to really keep tabs on this girl. And, um, and then the next thing I know, I'm getting a call from one of the girls that uh, we uh, um, that was in room with that Trisha died. And yeah, they found her like in the bathtub, like dead. And sometimes I think back to that, I'm like, oh my God, is it because we went to the psychic or you know, what happened? Blah, 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 because the psychic told her some really foul shit. Like he was like, you know, there's a curse uh, on you that was put on you in Zimbabwe and you need to get rid of it. And she was a Zimbabwean. Oh, and uh, yeah, I was freaking out. And I didn't let him do my reading. I didn't even want him to touch my hands because Nigerians have this thing that, they, you know, if you let them touch their, your hands, you um, they rewire your destiny or something. Right? So, so a lot of this conscious stuff and new age stuff i've been it's so attractive to me but i've been so hesitant to dive into it because of how i've been brought up to see yeah. that and then you hear crazy stories like i mean this uh the australian girl was telling me about cults uh yesterday and telling me about men in this space who take advantage of women and who are in it sleep with women and how very manipulative and how kind of devilish some people can be in, in these spaces and it's like, ah, it's like, oh my God. Like, so that, that aspect of me, that there's a part in me that is quite Christian that I feel like, should I go to these spaces? You know, should I, will I feel comfortable or will something in my spirit feel, will I be unnerved if I go to a temple? You know, can I do that? And at the same time, like I said, I'm, I'm in the closet and I don't want, I guess, family members to feel offended by me visiting a temple or something like that. So it's very strange, it's weird. And it's because, and I'm not in the closet because I necessarily care um, about them ostracizing 
anything like that. Never. It's more like I don't want them to be afraid for me or to be worried. I don't want, like, I mean, I don't want my grandma to cry. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. she doesn't. I'm okay. And there's sometimes you, there's nothing you can do to convince people that they need to relax on Sometimes you just have to let them figure it out for themselves. You know? Well, that's absolutely true. And sometimes, you know, your life is just yours. I know yeah. we like to have this idea that we're able to share the things we love and believe in with the people that we love and believe in, but everybody's not just in that space. You were born to them, but that doesn't necessarily make them family, you know? Mm-hmm. I was going to ask about your grandma. So you're, you're still very close with her. Yeah, for sure. For sure. She's like, she's the one who like checks to see if I'm alive. Like, <laughs> you know, she's, she's great. Veggie, where are you? <laughs> oh, I'll show, oh, I'm here, grandma. I'll be like, I'm here. Oh God, I gotta love social media and just the ease of just like, I mean, back in the day you had to use a phone card and struggle to like call somebody, but now it's just like. Yeah, that's true. Calling cards, all that stuff. Yeah, that was just like WhatsApp and Instagram. Like I, give, I could easily give a tour to my grandma of like where I currently am, what I'm doing, you know, who I'm with, oh, that's so you know, sweet. And, like she's there, you know, and like, oh, I love my grandma so much because um, she, I feel like I received the least pressure from her when it comes to like, you know, having a family and doing the stuff that good Nigerian girls should do. Because I think she really understands how much she has sacrificed. And I think um, a lot of women don't really know how much they stand to lose when they rush into like things like marriage and a family and stuff. And even though it's something I desire, I know that it's a sacrifice. I know there's stuff I'm going to give up. Um, and I know that if I end up with the wrong person, there are consequences. There are real consequences. And not just for me, but for any ch- child that I have. There are real, real consequences. And it's, to me, it's not a game. It's not a joke to me. So I would it's rather... Not, but there's also no guarantees and no way to get that perfect. Yes, be cautious. I'm not saying, like, throw it to the wind, there's, but still, like... Yeah, there's also no guarantees. So to me, it's like, you know, I would love that. So, yeah, if I'm like, okay, I'm doing that, I... I I, at least the awareness of it, you know, mm-hmm. is, um, yeah, absolutely. Not being careless about uh, the process. I think with my grandma, right. With seeing me travel a lot and she's kind of yeah. like, wow. She's like, wow. Like my granddaughter is just doing all these things and she's going yeah. to all these places. Wow. And I think she's, it's put things into perspective how much she has sacrificed for her children. Yeah. Kids. You know, five of them being boys, you know, how much she had to how much she has sacrificed. And she's shared to me some of her regrets and some of her um yeah, some of her regrets and some of the things she's been through, some of the things my grandfather put her through. And it's like a lot of her grand a lot of her family members are straight up lying to us. Or at least like they're 
there's like there's a myth surrounding a lot of our grandma. Yeah. All like honky dory and things are great. But man, like just the stories, like just the stories my grandma was telling me like my my grandpa had a, had a lot of the outside children, all oh, the struggle, all the stuff she had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Well, if, yes, if grandma. Talk about that, grandma. If you don't hear that side of things, you think my, my grandfather was the second coming of Christ, the right. way everybody. I was like, hearing it, I was like, what? That's so what? amazing. That is really amazing. How many people are able to have those kinds of, first of all, a lot of people's grandmas aren't alive. Second of all, the grandmas are still too shell-shocked to have these conversations with the granddaughter. There's like a barrier a lot of times, I think, to passing down the truth, the real information about life in general. So this is like... I'm very lucky. My grandma, I I feel like I owe like everything to my grandma. Like I owe like everything. I credit everything to my grandma. I credit my my looks, my brains, everything. It's all her. And without her, like I would be like I don't know a slug on the floor. Like I don't know. Like, <laughs> like I credit like everything to her and just her mind. I credit to her given given how much she didn't have when she was growing up and how she is. How she met my grandma is a hustler. She's a hustler. She has a lot of, she has an ice cream business. She has a, she's a seamstress. She went to the college of, um, she went to the college of London for school for a bit to learn how to sew and to learn how to design clothes. Like, um, she, she's a hustler. She's, she does, and she gives back to her community and she's, she's everything. Um, and if I become even a quarter of the woman that she is, like, uh, I'm very satisfied with myself. Um, so, like, my grandmother is like my goddess. So hearing this stuff that she went through was like, damn. And it put things into perspective because I wondered, like, why my grandmother never remarried. Because my grandfather died when my grandma was about, like, maybe 50, like, 49 or something like that. The generations in my family are very, very short. And my grandfather is much older than my grandmother. I think he was in his 70s when he died. Um, but yeah, my grandma was in her 50s. I always wondered, why didn't she ever remarry? And I think it's the trauma of being in that relationship. And then it wasn't until recently that my aunt, me and my aunt started really having these deep conversations. And she was telling me that every day her parents were always fighting. They were always fighting, always, always fight, every single day. And she vowed to herself that, like, even if she does fight with her husband, that she would never fight in front of her children. So that, I mean, this stuff affects people. It's just layers and layers of trauma, right? So, yeah, so all of that stuff. So she tells me stuff, and, and she's, I would say, like, I'm only from the outside looking in, but I would say her marriage with, with my uncle, who is who I love dearly too, like he's the I love him so much. He's like the only uncle who, like, I'm traveling. I have to give people money, right? Like, you know, he's the one giving me money. <laughs> so it like always kind of like balances that. But uh, so it's great. Um, but like, uh, it's crazy seeing, hearing all these stories. And then my uncle had a bit of a, one of my the youngest. 
guy in my my grandmother, he had a bit of a um, I wouldn't say breakdown, but he had a he had he kind of ex expiated some feelings with my grandmother. He had his first child a year ago, mm -hmm. and my grandmother mm -hmm. came. You know, the, your your grandma, the mother's supposed to come and sort of help out and stuff like that. She came, and they had a bit of a kerfuffle, and he started bringing out all this traumatic shit that was happening. And I was like, damn. How are you 40 and you're like just coming out with all this? Stuff. <laughs> My grandma's like 70. You know that meme where you've got this like the girl who's like explaining things in their head, like looking like she's explaining something. Yeah. In her head. It's like a bunch of math, like, but if you carry the three, then why have with the five? <laughs> it's the like, how did that, that don't add up? <laughs> It's the meme with the black girl. It's the black. It's like the split meme of the black girl um, with the head wrap, and she looks really traumatized, and she has like her fingers up, and she's trying to explain something. And you've got like the other uh, girl, the really short woman with the big eyes. She's looking at her like Dios mio, like oh yes, it's from it's from that show. Uh, the <laughs> small person. She's a small person, and the little girl is like going in. She <laughs> she's like you don't understand. I don't know. I don't know what show that's from, but I absolutely know that yeah. format. Yeah, this was literally this is what happened when my when my grandmother flew to Canada to like help out my uncle and his wife with their first child, and like and like my uncle like ever since he's there's like a lightness. He's kind of he's better now in a way like after having his first child, but he went through some traumatic shit too, and like had to like. Have to say his piece to my grandma and she her head was spinning she said why is he telling me this now <laughs> she was she was cheese like but i'm like yeah like it is what it is like y'all you guys put your kids through stuff because you guys were fighting all the time and it's funny there's again there's seven siblings so i'm like i'm hearing this from this person i'm hearing this from this person i'm hearing a bit from my mom and all this stuff and, I, and through that through all the seven kids you kind of putting together all this stuff and it just wow what a nightmare of a childhood <laughs> you're like why do people continue to make people why <laughs> why are you oh still humping i don't get it yeah. <laughs> these are upper middle class like upper class nigerians you're like jesus matter child just because you got yeah. some bread don't don't make the hurt any less doesn't definitely doesn't right like to me, I always thought that maybe they had a tra more charmed childhood because they had they had more than the average Nigerian. So but I'm like, well, what's going on? Yeah. But then you have to think about that too, though. Like, uh, there are people with a lot of access and a lot of pain because their parents throw the money at it, right? So it's like their emotional needs, their psychological needs, they're not being met. Not being met at all. Um, so, so you can eat, but you dying inside, like. <laughs> right and sometimes i have to dial it back and be like oh god my mom's like without making excuse for her excuses for her but it's like ah oh, she's like trying to heal from herself too or she doesn't even have the tools she doesn't even know at least with us we have the internet we have groups we have all these things like if you can't afford it you can at least enter a space that will support you you know there's there's so much resource out there that you can like you can just take off your burden yeah, for a lot. Um, and I feel a lot of the older generation, like, they just don't even know how to take care of themselves. No. Like, it's like, they my don't mom's in her... That is. Yeah. 
my fifties now, and like, I don't know, like, she doesn't. I feel like she. Oh, gosh. I mean, there's that, there's there's compassion for yourself. So it's like I was put in a very messed up situation, and that has messed me up. It has messed my brothers up. It 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 has seriously impacted us. But then there's also the compassion part where it's like she was there too, and her childhood and the things that were handed down to her. Not saying that she's absolved of responsibility, not one bit, not at all. She's still responsible for her choices, but sometimes they can only see so far. Mm -hmm. They can only do so much and it's terrible, but it's unavoidable if they're not the type of people that are going to do that inner work to say, hey, this is wrong. I want to switch this up and change this around, whatever, whatever, instead of continuing that cycle of trauma. With my mom, I've always felt like my mom didn't have much empathy for me. Um, I mean, she wasn't going to. Not if she thought what was going on was regular or she couldn't breathe enough to come up out of her own mess to deal mm-hmm. with what was going yeah. on with mom. Yeah, and I feel like she still doesn't. I mean, yeah. sometimes they just like physically can't. I can understand you as a person that sees. It's the same thing about what we're talking about, um, how you have a perspective on things because you got to experience cultures at different ages in your life so you see and unless and it's like white privilege she has this privilege where she's not if she does see it she's not able to feel it she's not able to do anything about it and it's terrible (laughs) it's really awful it's the same thing how people are talking about oh if I were back in Nazi Germany, I wouldn't have let that shit happen. And it's how these kids are in cages. It's the same shit. Like, people are often in a place where they, their feet cannot move. Their feet are bricks. Again, mm-hmm. not solving them. Not. But it, it's, it's people like, like us that look down and realize that our feet are in bricks. And we do the work to try and get our feet out of bricks. Not everybody does that. It's tough. It's ugly. Like, it's brutal. (laughs) It's life. But all I could do is really try to enjoy this. But honestly, I feel like what I owe to myself, like... Yes. Yes. It's like... Loving myself and yes, making my life as little as possible, you know, like you know, give myself things that I wasn't given when I was young. Yeah, it's like um, a lot of folks do the like parenting yourself, yeah, at healing those wounds, making yourself feel good, addressing the the, the religious guilt, addressing the the mother guilt, like yeah putting a name to it, trying to process it, trying to get it out of you, not just trying to positive think it away, like, oh, it's okay, I'm all right. No, you're not. (laughs) You're carrying it around still, and it's waiting to go off like a bomb, being triggered, so it's good. It's good to deal with those things when when you have the space to, little bit by little bit, you know. Oh gosh, my whew, my foot's asleep. <laughs> Are you there? Hello, hello. 
Can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can. I'm sorry. I can hear you. Um, so I just have a couple more questions for you. You have given us so much. Um, and then we'll just put this conversation to rest. <laughs> um, so I want to know if there is a poem or a song, lyrics of a song that are speaking to you these days. Oh, gosh. Um, hang on. Um, <laughs> uh, right now, it's, um, I've got a few, but one that I really meditate on is this weird, um, I just kind of came across it. I listen to a lot of, uh, I love like electronic stuff, like weird stuff. Okay. There's a, there's a group called a Star Slinger, and they have a, they, um, oh my gosh, give me one second. Let me just okay. do Google for everything. It's called Choose Yourself. Uh, and they basically borrowed uh, somebody's, uh, there's this one guy, uh, they borrowed somebody's voice. But it's so calming. Like sometimes what I've been doing is, well, when I was in Montreal, one thing that got me through the winters was just like having a hot bath, burning some incense, putting some like... Um, essential oils in soaking and just listening to choose yourself over and over again and it's basically just quotes like random quotes by this guy who like um hang on it's quotes by this guy called james sorry veggie the connection is breaking up again um i heard you say james and i can't i didn't hear can you hear me now? No, you sound very far away. <laughs> Yay, podcast live. Let me move again. Definitely All right. Better. There's a little bit of a buzz too, but I didn't know if you could do anything about that, so I just didn't say. The guy called Alter. Oh, yes, I know him. I like yeah. him. Yeah. So he is like a. Uh, I discovered him through the song. Can you hear me? Yes, I can now. Yes. Okay, good. I, I put on. Okay, so his, he is a hedge fund manager. He, he was an entrepreneur, an author. He's like one of those guys who does everything. And he's crazy because he's kind of all over the place, which I kind of like because I'm all over the place. Mm -hmm. So, like, um, so he's interesting so he's one of these like wellness people as well funnily enough like you know he has his theories about happiness but they basically took some of his quotes and they uh they put it in this song called choose yourself and sometimes i just kind of meditate on it and the, one of the quotes is uh if it's not a hell yeah then it's a no <laughs> yeah. and i'm like yes Oh my gosh, like there's some things that that whole entire track, it's not even long. It's probably like two minutes long or something. And it's just tracks of, and I think there's more too. So I discovered that Starslinger has a little bit, some, some more of some, these James Ultra quotes that they put into, they, I don't know, they remixed it. They made it. Oh. Anyways, 
No, I just like meditate on that. So um, I like that. Um, uh, sometimes I, uh, I'm I'm a weirdo. So I sometimes if I feel like I want more money, I listen to songs that like only have to do with money, like "More Money, More Problems" or "Money Maker." Or like, I, I get That's money for 50 cents. Like, I'm a hustler. In a way, it's like, it's strange. Like, I, it's like I want to, sometimes when I want to get into hustle mode or whatever, when I, like, I kind of love that type of stuff. But sometimes I like, you know, spiritual stuff um, as well. Um, I'm listening to, uh, I'm listening to Sampa a lot. I think it's Sampa. Oh, I don't yeah. know if I'm saying it. Yeah. I love Sampa. Uh, so much. I don't know. Tampa, Tampa. <laughs> um, and then also I'm trying to get into like prepare myself to start learning Spanish because I might want to do go to South America um, oh. or do a travel. Like if this Asia trip is successful <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not completely burned out afterwards and I, and I want more, I would love to do a South America thing, but only when I become intermediate in Spanish because um i i don't want to struggle um so like yeah so i've been listening to a lady called carla morrison and oh she, her voice is great um so yeah that's what i've been that's been speaking to me uh so yeah um uh and then in terms of like books and stuff oh my gosh i haven't really been reading anything too deep really um i sort of keep the four-hour work week around just to yeah. look up look up like business ideas and stuff like that um seven uh, high, uh habits of highly effective people i've like peeking through that um the financial diet really like the books i read are super super practical for the most part nothing too crazy like if i want to um if i really want to get into that headspace i might i have like a copy of uh, khalil gibran's um the the prophet um on my uh on my laptop which has so many quotables and like so many like things to meditate on so i like that but i mean for the most part i'm not I'm not that deep uh, when it comes to books. I'm more of a like super practical person. Um, and, but you also yeah. consume quite a bit of like TV and film. Like you're quite the entertainment buff. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, Which is, is often just as deep as a book. It's just a different. Experience. Yeah, I guess um, films. Oh gosh. Uh, I haven't been on Netflix you don't, in a while. You don't have to, like, name any. <laughs> I just wanted, like, the inspirational poem or book. But, yeah, I noticed that. Those, like, mm -hmm. those are sort of the stuff, like, to me, like, I guess, like, one thing that really, really resonated with me over the past year was the Stranger Things series. Uh, why? Because I love this concept of childlike wonder and imagination and exploration. Like, I love the feeling of, oh, hang on, one second. I, I love the feeling of exploration. I love it. When I was in Iceland, uh, I got that feeling. And sometimes, like, when you're just, like, 
in a jungle somewhere or like you're kind of like discovering someplace and anything can happen. I love that. It's part of the reason I came to Thailand uh, first because I know there's ample opportunity for that. Uh, this feeling of wonder and connecting back to your inner child, the part of you that loves to run free. So that series kind of like resonated with me, like these kids just having this kind of adventure. Yeah. Um, I thought that was cool. I, like, I think everybody should watch that series. Like, um, it's great. I mean, like with me, when I was like, what is this? Like, this has nothing to do with me. It's got like one token black kid in it and that's it. But like, <laughs> just like, oh, but like him, like his sister has a bigger part in this third season and it's amazing i love it she's a bit sassy like they kind of play into the sassy stereotype but i kind of love it like she's just like my favorite character in the show right now um but yeah like i mean i i love anything right now that kind of brings me back to feeling a bit like a child um it's weird because you know we all want to grow up and not be childish and be adulting and all that stuff but anything that could link me sometimes it's just a smell sometimes you smell something that reminds <laughs> you of your childhood and the the feeling just like ah oh, it's just ah oh, the other day it was a song i don't know what it was um oh i think it was that uh, there's a song uh, merry christmas mr lawrence i heard it and then i saw i sh i uh, shazammed it and I was like, I've heard this before when I was so young. Turns out it was from a movie I watched a long time ago with my grandma, I think. Uh, came out in the 80s. And I was like, oh, my God. And I was like, oh, God, I know that song. So I've been, like, playing Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, for, like, that. there's a song to it. And then there's also a movie, too. Um, so it's just anything that could tie me back to great times in my childhood is is really what i'm into so any type of thing where i'm exploring it could be like a cave it could be like just a plot of nature like it could be anything really but that's what i'm into nowadays so yeah <laughs> that's gorgeous i love that um Um, you talked a little bit about meditation, uh, burning some incense, got your oils mm. and your bath. Mm. Like, you also talked about playing around in the dirt when you were planting trees and, like, feeling grounded or what have you. Like, are those, well, sometimes in Asia it's a little bit difficult because there's no baths, but mm -hmm. what are some of your, your self-care practices if you don't mind sharing? Now, yeah, I mean, like, now... Um, it's Chiang Mai so like you know sometimes especially when you're working you're working on your laptop it's all about like you know the massages stretching um, yoga I would love to get into it but to be honest I don't know I just I'm just not ready to be you know what's funny <laughs> I don't know you know what's funny I used to religiously go to yoga yeah. in um toronto where i used to pay like extra money and stuff like <laughs> and it was really expensive <laughs> i used to go almost every day after work because like yeah. i was like developing back problems and stuff um and then um 
now when I'm in, in Chiang Mai where all there's all the yoga in the world, I'm like, nah, bro. Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, world. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but you know what it is, though? <laughs> there's something that really, really turns me off about this whole, like, I don't know, like, white girl spirituality. Like, you know, and it's it's weird because as individuals, I like them. Yes. So, like, if it's one white girl, like, I'll, like, go to her. We'll talk about stuff, blah, blah. Okay. And like, but I don't want to be around a group of them. I'm not ready. I'm not ready for that right now. And like, sometimes I feel like seeing white people here is kind of odd. Like, I mean, we're seeing, it's very, very weird to me. I mean, and it's not because I'm trying to be an asshole. I do have white friends, guys. Like I have a mixed group of friends. <laughs> but just like, talk to the people. Something look very, there's something like, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I just don't want to tokenize myself in Asia. Like, I'm in Asia, for heaven's sakes. Like, the, now you're going to be a token within a token within a token? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know if I'm making sense, but like, it's like you're surrounded by white, you're surrounded by just Asians here and they're gawking, like, gawking at you like you're like God knows what. And mm -hmm. you don't know what opinions they have on of you um, or anything like that. And then when you get into these spaces where it's largely Westerners, now you're a token black person within a token white space, within a token Asian space. It's too much inception for me. I'm, I, I can only do so much. So like I right now I'm just trying to I haven't had the time to really uh, find something that it's I'm like I'm I'm trying to be intentional about these spaces and I'm not trying to like it's hard enough in the co-working space that's what I'm saying like because here I'm surrounded by white dudes and that's a whole nother whole nother thing whole nother thing whole nother thing I don't even know where to begin with that. But I think I, I should, I have the responsibility to share everything with you guys since we are talking about black women entrepreneurs who are nomads and who are going to have these types of experiences. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so again, like it's this, I'm sensitive to the way Thai people see me. I'm was very sensitive to the whole, like you come here and there's a lot of, skin bleaching ads and all of that stuff. And as a dark-skinned black woman, that's something I've always... That's been a battle for me. And yeah. not necessarily because I've I've received any, like, any really, 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 really bad trauma, but, like, some really underhanded shit, some subconscious shit, some microaggressions. Like, as a dark-skinned yeah. woman, you get a lot of... There's a lot of... There's a lot of stuff. And... um you think you've healed and stuff. And that's the thing. Healing is just such a continuous process. Like, I feel like it's Come on. something that that's necessarily you're just, you're healed and that's it. Right. Like, it's just, your traumas revisit you sometimes. And as a dark-skinned woman coming to Thailand and, like, being bombarded with bleaching cream ads, it was a mental assault. I wasn't prepared for that. I was just, like, looking at the vlogs and all the... All the people, oh, yeah, we're here, we're out here in Chiang Mai, we're out here, you know, watching Passport Heavy and all that stuff. I mean, like, oh, my God, they're really out there. You know, and you're like, this is all fun, blah, blah, it's all fun and games. And you get there and you're like, oh, my God, like, how do I feel about myself? And why do I care what these people think? Um, 
And I don't want people perceiving me like I'm ugly or I'm a walking personification of ugliness or that I'm an animal or something. And I'm confused. I don't know how Thai people perceive me. And it's like this whole, on one hand, you get different, you, I mean, you get different stories from black people. Like I've read some really harrowing stuff about like, you know, black people who eventually learn Thai and you know, they regret learning Thai because they walk into a space and all of a sudden Thai people are talking shit about them. Um, so I've read about stuff like that. That's like, oh my God. So it's like, and then I hear other black people like, well, you know, if you present yourself right and da 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 da, you know, the sort of respectability politics aspect uh -huh. of things. Yeah. So you hear about that stuff. And then, then you, you know, then you see, you got some Thai people who don't smile at you and like who are assholes, you know, like I went to a store and I was like touching something and the dude was like, don't touch. And I was like, what the hell is wrong with you? And I just got the <laughs> hell out of there. Like, yeah. like, who the heck do you think you are? Like, don't talk to me like that. Like, right. <laughs> so bad. Um, and then you get some Thai people who are really smiley, you know, and they treat you well and stuff like that. And they want to take pictures of you. And then you're like, oh, am I just a novelty or whatever? And then, you know, you get white people saying, oh, it's the land of fake smiles. They're all fake. They're just trying to get something. Da, 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 da. You know, one of one guy I met here says it's the land of fake smiles. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I don't know. So I was kind of carrying this kind of heaviness where I was like, I don't want people looking at me or staring at me or trying to take sneak snap photos of me. Man, I was at the warm-up cafe and this dude was like trying to have me on FaceTime with his random friend. I'm like, you haven't even said hi to me. You haven't right. even like greeted me, but you're right. trying to have me snap just to like be like, oh, we out here with this black person. Like, oh my God, F off. Like I had to be like, <laughs> oh, go away. It's so weird. It's just this strange yeah. relationship where people are fascinated by you, yeah. but then also have disdain for you too. It's weird. It's very strange. And it's this, like, I don't know, but you meet some really cool Thai people and all they want to do is hug you and touch you and kiss you and just, like, like swallow you up. <laughs> it's weird. I've never it's had so those you... experiences there. Oh, my God. I was at, like, a, <laughs> the I was at an elephant sanctuary. Yeah. And all lady wanted to do was hold my hand and like pet me and like hug me Goodness. and the affection was great i was like my god right Jeez. yeah so some people they see you and their hearts fill up with love for yeah. you and i don't know maybe it's because they admire american culture or black culture or they see the strength within, within us so i'm starting to not take things personally and feel like okay some of them some of them actually love us and like they're like wow these are like a beautiful people and like you know because not everybody's the same and then some of them are assholes you know and gonna be like oh it's black I mean, people that's life you. that's what we get back home that's where we get yeah. it's <laughs> some so people are funny. really dope some people are assholes <laughs> yeah Straight up i mean it was funny and like it was weird like when i was out um you know, the, one of the ladies here, she was like, oh, my God, you're so pretty. Da, 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 da. And it was so it was nice to hear that because I was feeling very ugly in Thailand. Like I was feeling very, very like weird. Um, and but you know what? Like, it's nice that it's not just me, though, because the white girls be feeling it, man. 
because here, to be honest, I wasn't really, I didn't really care too much about getting attention here. I'm just here to work, really, because the internet speeds are really good. Um, but a lot of the white girls who came out here and, you know, they're looking to, like, meet guys and they're looking to really hook up and stuff and they're getting nothing. Uh, in one of the groups, I don't know if you saw this group on the uh, Chiang Mai Nomad Girls, uh, but it was really astounding the differences between the black women's responses and the white women's responses. And like some of the the black girl, this one thread was started a few a week ago maybe about um, how she didn't, she, and it was a you know, beautiful Israeli chick. Oh, you know, usually when I travel, I get all this attention, but. In Chiang Mai, I get nothing. I get no attention. <laughs> yeah, I get no attention. I got nothing. Like, none of these guys want to talk to me. Nothing. Da, da, da. And she was very disturbed by it. She's like, well, are the guys, the guys not like us here? Blah, blah. And the white girls were like, yeah, duh. Like, they're not here for you. Some of the white girls are really blunt. They were like, they ain't here for you. They're here for the tight girls. They're not here for you. Like nobody, you know, this is not your crowd. Like if this is what you're looking for, look elsewhere. Yes. This one white woman was like, I've been here since age 28. I'm now 43. <laughs> <laughs> it happened. <laughs> oh my God. People are really, people were super blunt. People were like, yeah, if you want to find romance, it's not here. <laughs> and then some of the black girls were like, oh god i i feel like i get too much attention like too many people staring at me there's too much i can't do i just want to be invisible so it was really really interesting um seeing the differences in responses because sometimes i do feel that, that way like so you just i just want to walk into a 7-eleven and not have people look at me that's what i want you know or stare at me or kids kids are the worst but you know they're kids so you let it slide yeah kids be at you like looking back at you <laughs> it's funny uh, so with me i make an effort to look um beautiful every single day uh to but the I mean, point where anyway uh how, like extra though i'm extra now okay <laughs> well you can be extra but like let's get the wording correct like you were already that you woke up okay okay oh, fair enough but but with me, like, I make sure everything looks great because, in a way, I Oh, want my God, Sedgie, you just reminded me of the girls that, like, wake up before their boyfriends get up and, like, do their hair and makeup and then, like, lay back down. Sedgie, if you don't... No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not that bad. Like, I'm not that somewhere. bad. But with, me, but with me, I want to feel, like, it's not even, it's not even for them. It's for, it's for me mostly. All right. But Good. I don't want them to ever be like, no, I'm... I'm going to stunt on you. So you can't even look at me and be like, oh, look at this black person. Like, don't no. Fix like, your mouth to come for my looks. Don't even. Don't even. Like, you know, I walk into a store. Like, you know, it's just like, it's like sometimes you just have to. Like, you can't have them feeling like, it's again, I'm sensitive to, like, again, with the trauma from my childhood, I'm sensitive yeah. to this whole coming from a place that wasn't racialized in Southeast London to going to Canada where everybody, I felt like racial infer inferiority because one, not too many black people to like, you know, you don't have the best clothes, you're poor, blah, blah, people yeah. looking at you a certain way. So I'm hyper aware of that. So, and to do that and like to get that from white people and then to get that from Asians too, like stop, stop. So to me, sometimes I feel like I have to kind of like 
yeah, like I, I can look good too. And it's funny because a lot of the DMs here and like everybody here is kind of slumming it. Like, you know, people aren't really <laughs> dressed. Nobody's wearing Animal makeup. Side. So people, yeah. somebody called me the other day, somebody called me a, a Beyonce tribute act. <laughs> <laughs> she's like you know she's like beyonce like the hair like looking good da, 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 da. <laughs> and like I've, i'm getting like people are actually coming up to me like wow like you look so good like usually like digital nomads like don't put in any effort this dude the other day this white guy and this guy's been hitting on me for the past how long he's like oh yeah like um you know they don't you know usually digital nomads they come here and they like they're not putting in any effort nobody likes to dress this guy like he likes to dress like he like threw away all his t-shirts and stuff and like he's like yeah they don't you know but you you come out here and you're shining like blah blah I like the feeling I like shining I like it and I'm embracing it you know and I feel like I feel like when black women come here they shouldn't be afraid to shine shine as much as you can yeah that's what I'm trying to say yeah. Veggie, Veggie, how can listeners support your work? You want them to do Honestly, um, I am making a blog. It's going to be a travel blog. It's just going to be about, it's going to be really real. I'm really raw about things. I'm very, very raw. I'm pretty unedited, even with a lot of my stuff. Like my Instagram, a lot of it is unedited. I don't, I don't, I don't put filters on things um, for the most part. Uh, so I'm pretty much like if if like follow me on Twitter. I don't know if I my Twitter, my Twitter, my uh, Instagram for now. I'm working on like growing those channels, um, and I'm trying to be active more on Instagram. Um, so just like you know, follow me on those, and like um, I'm trying to have a blog up soon. I've written a lot for it, but you know, part of me is like, oh my god, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. Uh, so that's why I still don't really have it up. But yeah, for now, but for the most part, it's not really about me. It's like, I'm open to, I want to do my service. I want to do my community service as a beginner nomad. Like, I'm definitely a resource if people want uh, to, if people want to know more about things like co-living and co-working and my experiences that I've had so far. Uh, what they should look out for, um, how they should budget, where to go, where to go for beauty products, hair products, and stuff like that. I mean, this, uh, yeah, this Thai lady hooked me up with a good place to buy, like, beauty products and hair products. That's important, too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't really I haven't really heard people, like, talking about how they care for their hair, how they care for all these things while they travel, because it's hard. Man, oh gosh, it's hard. Like, how to maintain things. Like, because I know, like, a lot of people, a lot of this community intersects with the minimalist community. So everybody's trying to use less. Like, a lot of women here are not wearing weaves. Like, I'm wearing a weave right now. And I feel like a lot of the, a lot of the women in the group are not wearing weaves and stuff like that. Because it's like, a lot of people are like, okay, I don't want to wear weaves. I'm gone off that. It's, you know, it's oppressive, blah, blah. It's anti-black. Uh, you know, some people have those beliefs. And to me, I, I mean, I used to kind of meander between having those beliefs and not, right? And mm-hmm. to me, it's at the point where I just don't care. I mean, if I want a Beyonce weave, I'll have a Beyonce weave. <laughs> if I want, for real, like, if I just want to no. have braids, I'll have braids. If I want to rock it, be natural, I will be natural. But 
to me, it's all about how do we help women who are, you know, who want to still like maintain all that stuff and so be trapped. How, so how can the girls get in touch with you? What do, um, what, my, my Instagram is Fedgy Water. Send me a DM. I'm easy. I will follow you. I will, you know, all that stuff. Send me a DM. It's at Fedgy Water. F-E-J-I W-A-T-E-R Fedgy Water. Um, at Instagram. On Twitter, I think it's iFeji, I-F-E-J-I. I have like the same profile picture for everything, so you'll know it's me. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, for now. Um, yeah, so okay. just feel free to follow my Instagram and, you know, like, yeah, do whatever you want for the most part. But for now, I'm here to serve. Like, I'm not here to really like, promote 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 myself like that because to be fair i'm not really ready i'm more on like i'm more in like work mode trying to get this money and then start like launching things after uh but yeah that's that's it yeah (laughs) well i will put that in the show notes and i will speak with you soon thank you so much veggie for taking the time to share so much really appreciate it (laughs) oh thanks (laughs) <laughs> no worries. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. <laughs> All right. Bye. 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 <laughs> Bye.